Hello. Friends. Welcome back to the Franco Files. Last we left you, we talked about Dr. Wong. Thankfully, we will not be talking about him today. But there is another character, unfortunately similar, that we will get to today. Yeah. <laughs> However briefly. Um, yeah, you know, uh, let's see. We got our, before we get into it, we got our uh, show at X-Ray Arcade in Wisconsin of Joe Franco's Faceless on December 10th. Hopefully see some of y'all for that. Five bucks. Um, and all that going right back into more Franco for all of you. And then on the 12th at Music Box, we've got Freddy Got Fingered and The Idiots. And special surprises for all of you who are interested in that show. It's gonna we'll be see. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Well, yeah. Who knows how special the surprises will be. But <laughs> Yeah, we can tell you about a surprise that we think's going to happen and may not happen. And we'll tell you that we almost let made it happen so <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah we're back for another edition of the franco files so all right let's do it all right well we are in a world of depravity and sadism right right smack and familiar territory with our first one today and that is 1982's cries of pleasure mm-hmm. hey an excursion into more of the how to seduce a virgin kind of shit and <laughs> yeah i don't know this one's this one is a movie that might really put you off and make you wonder why anyone would do this or watch any of these movies but on the other hand it's uh well, I will say it's probably one of, on the surface, most visually uninteresting movies, except if you understand what Franco's kind of working with here and what he's trying to do with the means and circumstances he has, can actually be kind of a dazzling look at uh, minimalism and shooting with a almost looks like non-existent budget. Because rarely in just time, shockingly, um, do we hear about them having a limited amount of actual film stock they can use? But that is the case here. And thankfully, instead of wasting that, Jess took it as a challenge to see what he could do when he can't do multiple lighting setups. Um, and I think if you're already, if you're on the Franco tip already, this is a, a very pleasurable experience and pretty and pretty incredible what he does within within these really long sequences um, with his camera. I think it's beautiful. I really like this one. Yeah, I think there's beauty in it. I think there's also a lot of like hothouse claustrophobia that doesn't necessarily make this a let's put it on and, you know, see what see what's up kind of movie. It's it's <laughs> it asks a lot from you as a viewer. And if you're uninitiated, this movie is going to ask probably more than you're willing to give. But I, I will say there are there are moments of ins- great beauty. I mean, the scene that I'm thinking of is the scene with them on the couch oh, in yeah. the dark when she's having her convulsions. So yeah, Lena Romay is, I guess you could say the this the virgin of this scenario. She's brought into a, this whole game by uh, Antonio Mayans or no, not Antonio Mayans, Jose Lamas. Bleh. Oh, wait, no. Is it Antonio Mines? 
Yeah, it's Antonio Mayans. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm getting the fucking these Spanish. <laughs> There's a lot. There's a lot. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yes, they get br- she gets brought into this sort of thruple where yeah, they there you got every one of your favorite characters from the Eugenie and say uh the Sod films. You've got the the guitar playing mute, you've got the the sex slave maid. <laughs> and the mute in this one, I love his name, Fennel. Name's Fennel. <laughs> named yep. after a licorice tasting vegetable. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's interesting. I mean, you get a little more agency for those characters that pop up every now yeah, and then. Like the opening narration is actually from the mute, which is an interesting idea. Um and one of my favorite shots in this whole movie, honestly, is how it opens and the brilliant use of no budget, because we start on the mute playing guitar, this beautiful guitar music. And uh, the opening shot is one of my favorite brilliant uses of no budget, because we start on Fennel playing guitar by a pool and we sit with him for a really long time. And then the camera just pans down to a body floating in the pool. And it's kind of fucking brilliant. And then we just go straight into the action from there. And it's discombobulating in a really smart way because you're like, wait, who the fuck was talking to us? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Yeah. It's kind of it's kind of amazing. Like I don't know. This it, one, this one's very uh this one's uh, inspiring, I think, for uh filmmakers without a lot of money, in my opinion. Yeah, if your goal is to shoot people writhing around on the floor. <laughs> yes. Yes. And it's yeah, and it's that thing Franco's obsessed with honing in on the idea that if you have if your lust your sexual lust eventually turns towards a lust for violence the emptiness that that creates within yourself and everyone you bring into your world and i think it's a you know one of one of his uh better ones in that room yeah sex just really seems to be kind of exhausting at this point (laughs) i don't know if it's watching all these movies that i'm a little tired today but it's also watching this movie, you don't feel a sense of erotic uh, tinge. I mean, there's like moments, but they're they're little pinpricks in this kind of like really black veneer of like these people have probably like burned out their like pleasure receptors to the ultimate nth degree. Yep. And it, it just feels very hungover. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it feels like, yeah, bad drug experience, which he's going to really drill in on his feelings about drugs <laughs> yes very uh, soon yeah, this is a this is a little bit j brulee de ish as far as those pleasure receptors you're talking about like it's not about making a hot movie it's about people who have gone so far with sex and with everything and have too much money and eventually they just start killing people because nothing else makes them feel anything <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> 10 stars yeah, 10 stars yeah <laughs> That's that's how it goes in the Franco world sometimes. Well, let's take a weird excursion into his next film, which is not typical for him. I mean, unless you're well, there's a certain title I know is going to pop up in reference here that I am already tired of hearing about a certain 1966 spy parody will probably make rear its unfortunate head today. But we are in a movie called. Los Blues de Cale Pop, otherwise known as The Adventures de Philip Marlborough or Pop Street Blues. 
Adventures of Philippe Marble or Volume Eight. <laughs> well, shit. There's seven more. I gotta find them. Yeah, I mean, you feel you know. You could also say that Philippe Marble is just Al Pereira once again. Yes, there's absolutely Al Pereira named Philippe Marlboro. Um, and this is a Manicoa Films production because things, even though they were getting to pump out so much work, things at Golden Films were not as rosy as Jess and friends thought it was because even though they were getting all these movies turned in as per their contracts, all the ones doing great in theaters were not, none of that money was getting back to Jess or Antonio Mayans, who at this point is basically a production designer and assistant for Jess on all these films. Um, and so because of that, Jess and this crew started making shit on the side in between, you know, the 12 films they were making for Golden. And this is this is the first one resurrecting the Manicoa brand. <laughs> yep, it's back. <laughs> it's back. Yeah, this is a weird kind of... Uh... I mean, it's it's before a lot of these sort of futuristic sort of detective movies kind of take over. I mean, I'm thinking of uh, this definitely feels like an outing into areas Ken Russell might go into that Vim Vendors might go into sort of these kind of like, yeah, goofy futuristic portrayals of film noir tropes kind of like past and future meeting just real 80s fusion of a sometimes you don't really want it degree but you just <laughs> accept it as a sign of the times yeah i'm sure you're shocked to find out that i like it quite a bit um but i do not i do not think it's like you know should be reconsidered or anything but i think again if you're on the train this has enough pleasures. Um, I mean, the silliness of supposedly, like it's trying to look like a U.S. city. This place is called Shit City in this movie. <laughs> and they're shooting it in Benidorm, which we'll return, return to today quite a bit. Um, but yeah, it's your, it's a, you know, a pretty standard uh, setup for this kind of Al Pereira thing. I don't think we need to go into the plot. Um, I think the the way to have fun with this movie is, you know, it's not comparable as far as quality, but this is definitely, I think, Jess, having watched some of Godard's funnier uh, attempts, thinking he's going to do that too because it's filled with constant cutaways to, um, you know, different figures throughout history, Marilyn Monroe and Humphrey Bogart, and a lot of weird, like, on-the-nose jokes with that stuff. It doesn't go far enough to be actually like deconstructionist or anything <laughs> so no. instead you're just kind of if you're having fun you'll be all right um but don't just don't expect a lot from this movie you know it's pretty it's pretty surface level but it's know. surface level indeed because the only thing you can really glean from the pleasures of this movie it's certainly not the humor but i which is unfortunate because jess was getting real funny around this time but it feels very um broad it feels very yeah, like you said, surface level. But surface level has pleasures in this movie. At least some of the the way he chooses to light certain scenes is very visually arresting and shows that there is still that filmmaker who can disorient us. But unfortunately, the story doesn't really do that. What it does, I mean, it does feel a little late to the party in terms of like that kind of like 
meet melding of like comic book pop culture meets like high-end thinking that you know we'd see from authors like thomas pinchon godard uh, uh um renee i mean they, all these people would do shit like trying to meld those things it, 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 it it's late to the party and it also does not level up to anything that they did but hey we got great doubles stuff in this shooting through mirrors and uh different you know things to objects to get in the way of what you're seeing there's a fish tank like neck uh like uh succubus so yep. and he even does the whiskey glass mm-hmm. which is very very jello which made me fantasize about a giallo version of this movie that would have been a lot more interesting but <laughs> oh that's the name of the game when it comes to jess is fantasize about a giallo that he never pulled off <laughs> yep but we do get uh the uh, flamenco dancer as a killer which I, is the one joke that in my opinion does work and i think is really funny augustin garcia plays this dude named impassable carter for some reason and he flamenco dances while he's about to kill people <laughs> <laughs> but yeah no the villain yeah no the villain the flamenco dancing villain does remind me a little of the uh sort of flamboyant villain simon yam plays yes. in full contact just a little bit just those little eccentricities to make it not just a stale cracker of a movie <laughs> yes. now in terms of stale crackers of a movie i don't know if we get more stale I, this could be a actually some of these jungle movies we're going to talk about could be in a race to see which is more boring and stupid and pointless in the Jess Franco filmography. Oh, it's not this one. Oh, before you start the, well, well, it's not this, it's probably another one, but yeah. Before you start it, just to highlight for the Patreon, the next two films that come in the line here, we have two short films directed by Lena and shot by Jess which we're going to be getting into Lena's direction and uh, the stuff she was into and her book on the Patreon coming up as well. So if you want to hear about those, hop over there. You probably want to hear about those before you hear about Fury in the Tropics, the extremely unfortunate retreat to the women in prison films that, boy, he wrote out on quite a high note with Sadomania and would have really loved to have just left the book closed there because it took the genre that i mean arguably he helped create i mean he might be i mean you could say on paper he sure certainly would be one of the leading pioneers of the women in prison genre he certainly took it to that level so it was cool to see someone go from 99 women all the way to Sadomania with very few kind of missteps in there. I mean, there's uh trying to think of all of them. I mean, Love Camp, eh, Women in Cell Block 9, fine. Barbara Wire Dolls, though, 99 Women and Ilsa have so many great things to offer in terms of that. And then Sadomania, I think, is the grand daddy of all the women, or the grand mommy, I should say, of the women <laughs> in prison films. But this might be on the lowest end, in my opinion. Okay. Um, I know I'm going to piss you off, but I do not hate this movie. I, I mean, there's the problem is, is there are things in it that you should like. Like yeah, you have just, all these retreats of things, but it just doesn't come with any of the grit. It doesn't come with any of the the delirium. It doesn't come with any hallucinatory aspect that gets you through 
why what makes Jess good and what makes Jess's issues transcend themselves sometimes. Sometimes his issues just are issues. Yeah, no, that's true. That's true. It's um this one <laughs> we have to mention because it's funny as always, the literary sources. Uh well, not literary here, but the title of this is from one of Jess's favorite movies, Andre Dutoth's Slattery's Hurricane. <laughs> yeah, which was is kind of surprising. In Spain. It's shocking he likes that movie or any Toth, to be honest. But <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. I mean Slattery's Hurricane masterpiece of uh, early <laughs> Toth filmmaking. I'm truly yeah. shocked that that made up. Because, yeah, the Spanish title was, I guess, Fury in the Tropics for Slattery's Hurricane, which came out in 1949, a movie I would love to be talking about right now. <laughs> well, I'll be, I'll be quick in my love of this so we can just move on. Um, I agree with everything you said about it. The thing that I find so interesting about this film is that rather than the sexiness or rather than the sleaze or rather than the sadism that you go to women in prison films for, which you get really none of here, even though there's some, you know, some interesting whipping stuff and the way it cuts to faces during those sequences. But really why I like this movie is because of how painfully melancholy it is from the jump. Um, there's a really heavy sadness to this movie that I find interesting being supplanted on top of a woman in prison film again i don't think it's successful but i do think the way again emptiness we talk about a lot the emptiness of spaces um and the loneliness uh of being in those spaces especially in this sort of situation i think works and i think comes across i i think there's moments of that i think the most like obvious moment of like weird disorienting sadness is the moment when and you know we're going to spoil the fuck out of this movie because you really you're not going to see this movie um is uh i'd love if someone restored it but i don't think anyone's in a rush no and i'll kind of maybe explain why uh the the most sad scene of the movie is the scene where lena helps that you know monstrous colonel figure rape her friend in a weird one of those moments that Jess can do so well, those kind of about face, like suddenly turns on a dime and suddenly this character who's been, you know, sympathetic towards her friend suddenly takes part in this kind of brutal, sadistic rape scene. And there's no real reckoning with it later. She just kind of moves on and continues. And then, I mean, that's the most powerful part of the movie to me, but then, I'm going to be honest, I, I, the Indian feels so unnecessary and over the top cruel and not in a cartoonish way that like something like Sadomania did so well to take these horrifically things to like comic book level depictions that I, I, I find quite transcendent. I, I think that Indian of them almost getting to where they need to go and then they just get raped by a group of dudes feels almost like parody of jess yeah i think i think that's why it fascinates me because it's just so sad and weird but like you said without any of the hooks or any of the brilliance and i don't again i, I agree with you on all these things um i don't know i just think it's fascinating if you're watching all these fucking jess movies uh on a standalone no yeah yeah, yeah. well yeah yeah well anyway Let's just move that one out of the way so we can actually talk about something 
of real value because you will listen to this show. You want to hear what the good ones are. You hear the heat. Yeah. And boy, do we have heat. I, I mean, this revisiting this has to be one of the great pleasures of doing this uh, show because I thought I really knew this movie. This was an early one that showed up on home video, Blu-ray, DVD. And I think looks better now than ever. And especially it looks really nice in the context of being on this journey, going through all of Jess's movies. So this is also a movie with a very complicated history, which we'll kind of talk about a little bit, but we're going to save most of that discussion for the Patreon because let's, to be honest, folks, we got to make money. We want you to come listen to the Patreon. So you can just give us five bucks and then you can cancel it. It doesn't matter. Just, you want to hear it, don't cancel it. But if you want to hear it, <laughs> you can hear a really fascinating story about a movie that will probably wind up being one of the greatest experiences on our wrap-up episode. I, I'm just guessing because of where this movie sits in his filmography, where this movie sits within time and history is kind of amazing. So... Let's get jump into a little bit of it. This is the revenge in the house of Usher. We are going to be talking about the version that is called neurosis because that's the version that shows up on Blu-ray. Hopefully the, the French version and then on the Patreon, we'll talk about the Spanish version and the attempt to recreate via composite Jess's original version. And if you're a Patreon member, I will say this is a little sweet, um, tasty little treat to entice you. Um, we will, if you really want us to, for our Patreon members, we will put that composite 16 millimeter print up for you to watch. It is extremely rare. It is uh, definitely passed along only in circles of the greatest heads. So if it's not really you're not going to find it anywhere so mm -hmm. if you want a copy of it you join the patreon we'll give you a copy of the composite cut of this so without trying to talk too much about that let's go in to what this movie is um when jess started this movie the gothic horror movie could not have been more out of fashion in the world <laughs> <laughs> nope. Only rivaled by right now. <laughs> Only rivaled by right now. I guess we'll see what uh Mr. Fucking the Northman, Robert Eggers, does with the gothic horror movie. He's promising. We'll see. I'm holding out for uh for Del Toro's to be an actual gothic movie more than I am Eggers. We'll see. I could well, be wrong. Yeah. Well, you're right. I mean, we are at a nice point where we have people wanting to return to mood, so it seems gothic mood and yeah, Robert Eggers is doing his Nosferatu movie, which he has said is supposed to be a return to classic gothic chillers. And then you have Del Toro with weirdly, you know, not very reported on the fact that he's making a sequel to the original 30s Bride of Frankenstein. Yeah, it's crazy. But everyone just talks about how it's like, oh, he's doing a Frankenstein adaptation. And then you read the description and it's like Dr. Pretorius, go, whatever. You'd think that would be an incredible well, come, come to our shows and vent with us about how that's exactly what's wrong with the world, that people aren't losing their shit about that news. Yeah, because <laughs> that, that was just one of those weird little things stuck in the bylines. And it's like, wait, what is this movie now? 
Yeah. So anyway, we could see some people who actually are great filmmakers who sometimes make a lot of missteps. Well, one makes a couple missteps. One made has made, I guess you could say, a misstep. We could see them really uh, do their thing here. So anyway, this movie comes out, Revenge of the House of Usher, in 1982, the year when The Thing is going on. Although that movie didn't do very well either, but in terms of the box office, but Poulter got, got to play though. <laughs> it got to play. That is true. It got to play. And uh, yeah, that, well, it, it, you know, the big thing happening at this time is where this is like the start of the, the slasher movie. I mean, this is the big boom of that post uh, Friday, the 13th part two thing where it's just like, now there's just a slasher everywhere you turn. So that's the big box office horror thing right now. So certainly a, you know, a movie purporting to be this like slow burn gothic semi-horror movie was going to die on the vine. And poor Jess, so excited. We'll get into why and why you can feel that in the movie. But goddamn, he was proud of this one. It was. Uh, it was screened at a festival in Madrid, and it was a disaster, derided, met with hostility. And really, I mean, how many years did it go by before? I mean, almost six years goes by before he decides to recut this movie. Well, he wants, he recut it once, didn't do very well with what he added. So then to this version, we have, oh, yeah. Everyone's favorite, Marius Lasur at Eurocine, coming in with his ideas of how to make House of Usher pop six years later. Yep. And this is after, so it's originally made by Elite Films, because again, we're in that area where Jess is trying to find money elsewhere because nothing's coming in from Golden. So Elite Films makes it, that screening happens, the Lasurs are back. <laughs> yeah, they are. And you know what? Maybe what they do to this movie was not what Jess wanted. Maybe it's not what you, the listener, want. That being said, it's still pretty effective. It's fucking incredible. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. <laughs> I, I think it's great. I think this is a Venus and Furs type situation where even though I want Paroxysmus to get a proper release so people can see what Jess wanted too, I think the people who got their hands on Venus did a great job. And I think it's the same here. Yeah. I mean, cause this is, there's this talk about a sadness with this movie. Oh. This is one of his saddest movies in, in, in a couple of ways. Um, this, like we said, this is a Gothic movie. This is the end of his Gothic run. You yep. know, and this probably is, the, the true nail in the coffin for anyone being interested in Gothic films for another 20 years. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, the little moments you get of it and like Vampiros Lesbos, Dracula, Prison of Frankenstein, Dracula's Daughter, Erotic Rites of Frankenstein. Um, that's all gone. And it's been one of the greatest things to experience with Jess. But, you know, like it said, it was not in fashion. And if maybe this movie had been a little more well received, who knows where he could have gone next. But the movie stars Howard Vernon. Thankfully, black, back, back, no, not black, but <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> 
Hank will be black in this one. Everyone's favorite black actor, Howard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, true brother of the screen is back. <laughs> back in what? He's back uh, in black. I'll say that much. He's wearing a lot of black in this movie. Yeah, and the man is, and everyone's hearts are black because there's yeah. a lot of sadness here. But I think this is his strongest performance, um, possibly in any movie he's in. Yeah, I mean, he basically. I mean, uh, Marius Lasseur adds the footage in, but you don't need that footage to kind of realize that maybe you are watching another one of the Orloff movies because, yeah, his name is Usher. This is a very, very, very loose adaptation of The Fall of the House of Usher yep. in name only um, because Howard Vernon is just – this usher guy going crazy in this castle and he's having problems with his memory. He has dementia. He's completely losing it. And it's sad and also pretty funny at times. There's, there's some moments that are hilarious and he's to, to make things more Jess, but more not fall of the house of usher. He's met by a, uh, Alan Harker again. Yes, a character from, well, he's Jonathan Harker in Dracula, but now the Harker character is back. And so is Dr. Seward, who we last saw in either Vampiris Lesbo or Erotic Rites of Frank. I don't know, one of those. Yeah, I forget the, I forget the order. <laughs> uh, another character from Bram Stoker's Dracula has shown up, and they're here because, well, Antonio Mayans as Alan Harker is there because Howard Vernon has asked him to come to the castle, except when he gets there, he's completely forgotten who he is. He doesn't know why he's there. And over the course of the, the movie has to be reminded that that is Harker there. There's moments where he's like, you're not Harker. He's like, yes, I am. He's like, in fact, you are Mr. Yep. Harker. Funny he, he, can't, uh, he can't separate his memory of him as a young student. Yes. Um, and so yes. when he sees it, because he comments on it over and over when he sees this bearded man, that's not who he invited. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, that's sad. <laughs> but then the sadness quickly, when uh, Dr. Seward shows up, they, you know, they eventually Harker has to go out and get a doctor to be like, what's wrong with my old mentor, Usher? So they bring Dr. Seward in. And when Dr. Seward gets there, Howard Vernon uh, goes over to Dr. Seward and says, oh, Mr. Harker, let me introduce you to Mr. Seward. And he goes, yes, I know who he is. I brought him here. <laughs> and then he goes, oh, yes, of course, of course. So there's little moments of humor punctuated uh -huh. throughout this movie, or else this would be an incredibly depressing movie of memory loss. Oh, um, yeah, we'd pass out if there were if there weren't wasn't a little relief. This would be uh, a a true soul crusher. <laughs> yeah, his name since he forgets so much, he might just be thinking that his name is Usher because this is most certainly Orloff. This is the yeah. most Orloff we've seen since his uh, since he looked like Guy Fieri in uh, in the Sinister Doctor Orloff. <laughs> <laughs> He's lost the pomade jar and he is thankfully back to, you know, just a you know, less fleshy haircut. But yeah, um, what they do with this movie, 
yeah, Marius Lasor throws in footage of Dr. Orloff that takes up like 12 minutes of the movie. So you just get to see scenes from that again, which, you know, is not so bad because it's an awful Dr. Orloff. I think it adds, I think it, not that it wouldn't work without it, and it does, which we'll get. There could have been, there could have been less of it, I would say. I mean, I, de- I definitely feel that, but I don't They're know. They're the runtime clearly by putting that in there. Yeah, but I think it's a happy accident because like, I think the emotion worthwhile. It almost, though, I, 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 you know, I think it could work better and it does, it does work maybe a little better when you have to just assume that he's the Orloff character. Yes. Yes. Because he could yeah. also be, you know, I mean, he's well, they kind of make him look like a vampire. They make him a little resemble his Dracula character from Prisoner of Frankenstein and uh, Dracula's daughter. You know, some people like to claim that he's many characters. I, I guess you can get that sense of it, but it, it does seem to more clearly be like he is Orloff. So, um, unfortunately, this is going to be one of our last shots at Mr. Orloff. Well, there'll be one more brief moment but yeah this movie just kind of feels like the end of an era for Jess the end of an era for a certain type of filmmaking and you know it's just it's beautiful looking it's we haven't really mentioned it's it's utterly gorgeous to look oh, at every every shot every shot this is a frame every film still kind of movie and it's one of his most gorgeous and he's working with a crew of five people on this yep. movie insane yep. skeleton crew a guy who used to have hundreds of people now he's got five people kind of double even actors doubling to do certain things so uh this is clearly um a very emotional thing for jess and you can see it in moments where the you know he passes out on the stairs and lena romay has to go get him and there's these transcendent moments that make you think of the rest of his career so in many ways this is a reflection on I think some of the more mysterious moments and times of Jess's uh, career and this, yeah, the movie moves at a molasses like pace, but it is so intoxicating. If you give yourself over to it, kind of like nightmares come at night. If you can really get on its wavelength. It's um, I think uh, it's one of his most in his exploration of guilt and ptsd from that um when you engage in activities like this you know which is not that he's not touched on it before but we have this is the first time we get what we're doing is just spending time with someone at the end of their life and we're left to wonder whether it's because he's old and has dementia or if it's because he's haunted whether literally you know whether you believe the voices and the people you're seeing that he's seeing are real or not amazing middle ground where you don't know and Jess clearly hasn't decided because that's not what he's interested in if it's real or not he's just interested in what happens to brains as you age and to me it, it hit I've always loved this one but it hit so much harder watching where we are because of what's going on in their personal life again like you said skeleton crew because all of a sudden golden films which was supposed to fix everything yet again for the millionth time in his career They've been left with nothing. They're using their own money to make a lot of this stuff. They're doing everything themselves. And I feel like Jess is wondering if this is it. And so that's why it makes sense to me that he's like, you know what I fucking love more than anything? Gothic horror films. So I'm going to make one 
to get to get out these you know get out these anxieties and it's so beautiful yeah yeah it's really it's beautiful and it's sad and it's just uh it's a lot to take in so hopefully you've been on this journey at a similar click with us and you know this movie should really move you and jump over to the patreon if you want to hear what we have to say about the other versions of this yep. the versions that started that Jess did not get to release that he would have loved to have released mm-hmm. and if you want a copy of one of them you know where to go hit us up we're the pushers in the, in the alleyway we're going to open our trench coats and show you all the stuff we've got <laughs> and one of those might be the 16 millimeter fan com- compilment of the original cut of Usher. Yeah. So it's nice to see Jess doing something that he loves. Now, here's an example of showing Jess doing something that I don't know if he loves. I don't, doesn't feel like it. It definitely feels like they are capitalizing with their buddies over at Eurocine, the, uh, the, the release of Raiders of the Lost Ark. And there are a lot of those trying to cop, kind of catch a little bit of that momentum and steam. This is called Diamonds of Kilimanjaro. Yep. It's basically the cannibals redone uh, with, and it's way less interesting. With none, none of the little charm that was there in the cannibals. And uh, plus Al Pereira and Daniel White in an acting role, because even the composer at this point is starring in movies for Jess because there's so little money. <laughs> yeah. And, and there's more people on this crew too. Obviously they're in the fucking jungle doing another one of these things, but it's just like Lordy Lordy. Yeah. There's a, yeah, they're looking for a missing white girl in a, in a jungle full of savages. And it feels a little uglier this time in sense that like the natives are just completely props in this movie. Yeah. This is a really, really bad vibes, bad face movie um, as far as this stuff goes. And not the normal level of just, you know, saying like, yeah, cannibal movies, they got that shit. No, no, no. This one truly, it makes sense that this is Eurocine saying we will help you with money again, but you make this right now. And it feels like that. It feels really disingenuous and it's just kind of gross. And uh, really the only thing I enjoy about this movie is some of the ways um like for instance that rhinoceros stock footage intercut with their conversation while they're just chain smoking is interesting for a second but it's only because i'm so desperate for something to yeah something interesting for a second is what this movie provides i guess you could laugh at daniel white as a weird man is like a scottish hurts in the jungle yeah. But again, it's it's stupid. It's like it's not that it's not that interesting and honestly offensive to Scotsmen everywhere. <laughs> the only time I'm gonna really have a problem with representation. Uh, I do love though that like of course it has what you expect, the offensive, like native sounding music when there's black people on screen. But I feel like Eurocine was like, just do bagpipes for the Scottish dude, and then it's fine. We're making fun of everybody. It's okay. Yeah. Not- Y'all didn't even it out enough. This movie sucks, and there's really it's available on Blu-ray at an exorbitant price. So I, I whoever put that out is uh, the greatest grifter of all time. And if you MVD. bought that, you deserve 
Yeah, you deserve to have paid thirty dollars for this piece of shit Blu-ray. I mean, I paid twelve for it, but still, that's it's about twelve too many. That's twelve too many. And <laughs> good luck trying to resell this fucking puppy or anything <laughs> less than four dollars. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, this is a bad movie. Very well, thankfully, movie. coming up next, we get Daniel White in a fucking awesome performance in what I think is a very interesting movie. So yeah, and we get Katya back doing something that actually is you know worthy of her talents as an actress yes uh even though my my love of this movie has dwindled a bit but oh, okay i used to really like this one um that's what mine i actually used to kind of neutral it and on this this journey now it's it's really shot up well this is lillian the perverted virgin or lillian the virgin corrupted yeah, this is another one of these uh, girl gets put into a situation by a couple of perverts and then is sold into sexual slavery and blah, blah, blah. Yes, this is a kind of a seedier retreat of Sinner, Diary of a Nymphomaniac in many ways, in that it really tries to focus in on this girl's drug addiction, which is hilarious i mean yeah i guess she's supposed to be getting shot up with heroin at spots but the funniest is when he makes a joint look as terrifying as like a spike in your vein oh it's incredible though that that we'll we'll get to it we'll get to it it's amazing Mm, well yeah i I mean yeah this is a golden films title so at least golden's back but i kind of gotta agree with thrower here this movie does strike me of a little over familiarity with this and we're gonna get to something i think on the next show here soon um that kind of gets is another one of these rehashes of these ideas but i think does it a little more effectively i I, my issue with this movie is it just it plays it so straight and it runs through so many of the familiar things where the girl goes to these two guys who is, and she's like, here's the story of what happened to me. It's a little perverse countess. And it just, I don't know. I just feel like visually this movie doesn't go as far out as you would expect for Franco to go when he's in this territory. I just feel a lot of restraint in this movie when I wanted to feel more of that push that yep. he can do so well. But, um, I don't know. I don't know. The the Indian is is hilariously stupid. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, it's real silly. So this is another Al Pereira joint, except I forget what his name is, but we got. I guess it's Al Pereira's brother because it's something else. Like Pereira. Alfredo Pereira or, or Mario Pereira. Yeah, Mario. Yeah, Pereira's brother Mario. I guess who also cracks me up is a part of the rural police force, which is just made up of him and Jess Franco. Uh, who supposedly can <laughs> help out when the cops aren't good enough in situations like this. Um, I don't know the the key for this one. And I guess before I get to that, this is important in the history of Spanish film because the classificata S rating mm-hmm. yeah. um, goes away at this point and all of a sudden porn is to actually show it. And so that's why this one has hardcore insert and going hard. Uh uh, yeah, you, if you want to see Lena just lap jizz off of someone's butt cheeks. <laughs> it's awesome. You can see that now. In this yeah. movie. And her sucking a very 
kind of small uncut penis. <laughs> yeah, if for the for the nasty man or woman in you, there are things to see in this movie. They're <laughs> definitely inserts. They do not at all mesh with the film stock, really, or with the uh, film stock matches this time at least. Or at, least the, or at least the yeah, a little. The lighting doesn't match, but the film that's stock probably more it. I think it's more the lighting. <laughs> yes. but it, it, yeah, it's like oh wow, but at least you see Lena's face pop in, and her and Jess having a real naughty time shooting this movie. But revisiting it, it hit me really emotionally. Um, it never had before. I think a huge part of that, of course, um, it's amazing the intermingling of sound effects and uh, music in this, and the he puts especially Lena's moans and wails and stuff through this like weird tinny filter of sorts i don't know how you do that in those days but it really like got me in a strange headspace and then what really drove it home is when katya's character is talking about the first time she gets raped by these people who have kidnapped her she describes that feeling as uh they extinguished all the vivid colors from life and that was, I don't know, like that was, that really kind of shocked me. Um, that's a really, I don't know, it's a really yeah, beautiful a- way to hear about someone's, you know, trauma and experience. Yeah. And so when that happens, I'm just fully into this movie. And so then when we get to like the the torture scenes where Lena's using like the whip on the dude's penis. Um, in his ass too. And then his ass, like, I don't know, but all of that, I was in this headspace of watching the story unfold from someone who has had their childhood taken away. And so those scenes, I don't know, especially because of the hardcore stuff is not sexy at all. It kind of made me think of the hardcore stuff in Thriller, um, where mm. the purpose of it is not to titillate, but the purpose is to further you, further pull you into this character's mindset. Sad cum shots, yes. Yeah, I think it's I think it's really effective. I really I really liked it. And the the Jess politics stuff and him whining about drugs and all that. It's annoying and kind of embarrassing, but I also find it uh endearing to be that blunt about it. <laughs> uh yeah. You know, Clearly I think it works drugs are like going to be the great downfall of uh of you know life and addiction to drugs certainly nothing that jess was addicted to like uh absconding with money and wild bets <laughs> but yeah. yeah no he he definitely seems to take drugs in his crosshairs and you know what he's gonna constantly feel this way about drugs yeah. and it might Doesn't... get a little more conservative as the 80s roll on but yeah. that's all right like you love drugs. I love drugs. We all love drugs. Doesn't matter if Jess doesn't like it. Born in a different time. This guy gets fucked up off aperitifs, you know? That's his, <laughs> yeah. that's his vibe. Just have to mention Daniel White in this movie real quick. Because Daniel White uh, plays this character who um, basically essentially like the district attorney of the area. And these rural cops go to him for help. And he says, you can't try to take them down. These traffickers, that's dangerous. And of course, we find out he's a part of it. But the reason it's so interesting is there's a scene where his character is watching Katya be tortured and assaulted by these people and loving it. But then Jose Amas comes over and like rubs his shoulders while they're watching it. And 
I don't know. It's inter- That's an interesting thing to do for Jess to have maybe this gay couple that the way they get off is to watch these young women be tortured. And I don't know. It's Something really a lot of gay men do. They love watching lesbian fetishism. That's a, it's a staple of gay men. <laughs> they, they really connect with that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I really, I really, I really like this movie a lot more than I ever have. Yeah. Well, got me. good. I'm glad you like it more. I don't dislike it. I just, you know, it's like we're, we're the, we've been to this place before and in better circumstances is what I would say. But there are moments, like you said, like certain lines of dialogue, but it may not do enough for you as yes. you know how Jess can cook. So I guess we're going to stop this one here. And we will come back sooner than later with the next episode because, you know, as much as we, you know, want to like dole this out, we also know you'd like to hear probably about other filmmakers and stuff from us at one point. So we're going to move this along, uh, go against some of our other plans and just try and let this be what it was. And Hopefully not just dole more out because this is not most of you are not saying I can't wait to wait for another two weeks to hear about six more Jess Franco movies. <laughs> so we'll get these done and then we'll move on to the other things. But yep. we'll see you next time for a movie that oh. I can't wait to talk about. And I'll just leave it at that. Yep. Shit is on fire. Come back for that one. <laughs> All right. See you next time. <laughs>